Lord just sort of uh, rekindled this on my heart as I was thinking about this week and what the Lord done for me. And I know He's helped other folks as well, but man, I, I'm thinking this is something that we absolutely need today as we continue to move forward. It's something that the Apostle Paul had, and uh, we're going to look at uh, at pretty good length this morning for a little while. I'm going to read several verses. I'll give you just a little bit of background. My main focus is going to be just a couple verses, but I want to begin reading in Acts chapter number 20, about verse number 17. And the context of this is the Apostle Paul's on his third missionary journey, and he's making these revisits, some of these churches he has started, and of course most of them are a result of his ministry in other places. Churches would pop up, he would establish churches, he'd stay there a while, then he would leave. Preachers would be left behind, they ordained elders in every city wherever they went. And there's a great explosion of the cause of Christ. It seemed like there were, the more the persecution came in the book of Acts, the more the church exploded when adversity comes. And a lot of times, that's still true today. And I believe the reason behind that is this. When adversity comes, you have to rely on somebody and something bigger than you are. And it puts a, a, a newfound focus back on the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of times, we'll have this mentality. Well, I got this. I got this mentality. You know, I, I can handle this. I can handle that. When we get to the point where we can't handle it and it's beyond us, that's when we lean on the Lord a little bit more. And that's when the blessings really start to flow. And God, sometimes God will use persecution. Sometimes he'll use adversity. Sometimes he'll use obstacles and challenges. But all those are opportunities to serve Christ in a greater way. And the Apostle Paul's traveling all over the place. He's left Philippi. He comes to Troas. And then we find him here in verse number 17 of Acts 20. I'm not going to ask you to stand, but notice where he's located. He's in a place called Miletus, and Miletus is about 50 miles from Ephesus, and that's important because the elders have come down uh, to meet the Apostle Paul, and he's got a message for them, and the Apostle Paul has spent three years ministering unto the folks in Ephesus. He had a great love for them. One of the books of the Bible, the letter to the Ephesians, was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. He had a great love, a great desire for them. And notice verse number 17, and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which before me or which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but hath showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Now, you'll notice here he's dealing with the past. He's reflecting back on the three years that he was with them there in Ephesus. And although he couldn't physically go to the town of Ephesus on this third missionary journey, he sent for the folks, the elders to come up. So they've come uh, up about 50 miles to where Paul is. And then we pick up reading in verse number 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now he deals from verse 17 to verse 21 with the past he's reflecting back he's remembering the three years he spent with them how he how he publicly taught them and from house to house he'd go into their homes and talked about repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ he was a soul winner he was a disciple he tried to instruct folks so he reflects on the past but now there's a transition to the present their present condition look at verse 22 and now that's the present tense. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, 
not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide in me. But none of these things move me. Boy, that'll preach right there. We ought to get to the point in our life, regardless of the afflictions, regardless of the obstacles, regardless of the adversity, regardless of the trouble, that none of those things should move us or shake us off the foundation that was placed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. None of these afflictions, none of these bonds, they move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. You know what I want to do? I want to finish my course with joy. You know what I want you to do? I want you to finish your joy or you finish your course with joy, not with sadness, not being grieved. God wants our joy to be full. He goes on to say in the ministry, which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now look at verse 25. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. The Apostle Paul deals with the past three years that he's with them. Presently, the condition that they're in, he said, listen, I'm pure of, of the blood of all men. I've tried my best to tell you the truth of what God ha- has expected or expects from you. Now, look at verse number 28. He starts to deal with the future. Now, this has to do with the elders that are there at Ephesus. It is a local assembly spot on there in the city of Ephesus. Paul is not going to be able to stay there, but these elders are in charge as the future as Paul was dealing with this. Now, look at verse 28. He said, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now, we all better get that. I understand sometimes we say, hey, this is a faith community Baptist church. That's my church. And I understand what you're saying. I make that statement as well. But understand, this is the Lord's church. I didn't purchase nobody with blood. You didn't purchase me with blood. But I'm glad Jesus purchased you and he purchased me by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he lays out that fundamental principle under the elders, the leadership of the church. Remember that Jesus is the one that has died for this church. Look at verse 29. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God uh, and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. Paul's talking about his hands. He was a tent maker. And that's what he did as a profession to make sure that his needs were took care of. Look at verse 35. And I, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ought to support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he 
Kneel down. There's another posture in prayer. I remember at some point or the other, I preached on the postures of prayer. Sometimes folks are standing. Sometimes folks are kneeling. Sometimes they're laying, folks are laying prostrate on the ground. Sometimes you're standing. But the apostle Paul chose to kneel down, and he prayed with them all. And look at verse 37. And they all wept sore, fell on Paul's neck, and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Now let's pray. Father, to bow God in your presence, Lord, again, this more reminded, Lord, we're on the winning side. Lord, reminded that we are so thankful for all that you have done for us. We thank you for the good word of God. Thank you for the good week that we've had this week. And God, I pray, Lord, that you'd add a blessing to the reading of your word. <clears throat> Lord, I ask that you'd please help me. Lord, as I try to expound upon these truths of the word of God, that thing that is missing, I pray, God, that today it would be found in the hearts of all of us. I pray that you'd deal with hearts. There's one that's lost. God, would you save them? Help this preacher now to decrease, that Jesus may be increased and lifted up. We're thanking you in advance for what you're going to do for we ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people see it. Amen. We could call this the weeping chapter, really, certainly of the book of Acts. It could be the weeping chapter of the Bible. Now, we do have a book in the Old Testament, the book of Lamentations, which, of course, was written by the weeping prophet Jeremiah, and that is lay meaning, and because of the captivity of God's people. But when you look at Acts chapter number 20 here, there's three times where tears and weeping are made known. We could break it down sort of this way. If you'll notice in verse number 19, we could say that Paul's tears were, were, were prevalent during while he was living. For it said in verse 19, he said, Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears. Now that's dealing with the past. During his past ministry with the church there in Ephesus for three years, during his living years, he shed many of tears. But then look at verse 31. We could call this the laboring years. For the Bible said in verse 31, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So while he was living and he was there amongst them in Ephesus, he had Tears. While he was laboring, he had tears. But then you could classify this last one by Paul's leaving. There was also some tears involved. Notice in your Bible, in verse 37, and they all wept sore. Who's the all? That's the elders there in Ephesus because they know that as Paul departs, they're not going to see his face anymore. This is his third and final journey. He's getting ready to go to Rome and stand trial. He'll eventually give his life for the cause of Christ. 2 Timothy 4, he lays out that I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course and I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Paul was getting ready to lay down his sword. Man, and other soldiers getting ready to go down and people were were weeping because he was leaving so while he was living while he was laboring and while he was leaving many tears were shed you know several years ago and I've done this more than once and I think the last time I did it I think I'd fix some meatloaf out at the house and I think daddy got a hold of it and I think he told mama that he said but it don't taste like Brian's meatloaf well there was something that was missing I forgot to put the onions in there man 
And uh, you say, well, onions ain't that big a deal. Now, listen, I, I love onions if they're cooked. I can't eat raw anymore. I used to. used to chop them dudes up. Hope y'all, do, hope y'all ain't starving to death. Man, I used to chop up them onions and put them in a big old pot, of, uh, a big old bowl of pintos and some cornbread and some of that homemade chow chow that mama. Man, that was good. But then as I got a little bit older, them onions began to do something to my insides, man. I'm going to tell you. And it's called indigestion. It's called heartburn. So I had to leave those things alone. But I've got to have the taste in that meatloaf. And, and if you don't have it in there, you can tell that something's missing. How many of you ever got a whole tea? Christy and I went to eat lunch yesterday. The waitress had brought us some drinks. And Christy is a diabetic, so she drinks half and half or unsweetened. Well, listen, I want it as sweet as you can get it, man. I'm going to drink it like that. Well, she came back out. She said, mm, I think this is a sweet, and I think this is an unsweet. I took one sip of it, Brother Evan. I moved that dude back over. I said, that ain't mine. There was something that was missing, and it was called sugar, and it made a difference. Did you know there's something that's missing in the church that really needs to get work back in? It's something that's called tears. Something that's called tears. Sometimes if you're not careful, you'll get in the position and You'll, you'll, you'll get hardened through the years. There'll be an incidence that will come. Or maybe you'll get in the, the, the idea of serving and, and you'll just be doing it out of obligation and the motivation behind it. You, you're, you're doing it, but, but there's no emotion involved. A lot of folks think that tears is a picture of weakness. Oh, no, friend. Tears is a symbol of strength. You read your Bible over there in the New Testament, God's got a vial for the tears of the saints. I wonder how many of my tears are going to be in that vial. I wonder how many tears are going to be in that vial that God's going to unleash one of these days in the near future. I'm talking about after the, after the rapture of the church and we're there in the presence of the Lord. But tears are a missing ingredient that I think are absolutely necessary. Brother Tim hit on the altar the other night. That is absolutely critical. It is absolutely important for us to have a private altar and a public altar. Why is that, preacher? Well, we're all needy people. The Bible still said in the book of Job 14.1, man that is born of a, a woman is a few days full of trouble. Last time I checked, that's all of us. And all of us are promised some trouble, some adversity, some obstacles. And we sure do need God. But the Bible still said, James, Four and verse number two, ye have not because ye ask not. But sometimes we got to ask with the right spirit, and tears do make a great difference. As a matter of fact, you go through the Bible, and there's a lot of folks in the Word of God where tears were brought to the forefold. I think about Elisha. Elisha, of course, was the one that came after Elijah. He was the one that prayed for a double portion, certainly of, of Elijah's spirit, and he got it. Nobody outside of the Lord Jesus Christ has more recorded miracles than Elisha. Now, keep in mind, he was a man made just like you and I, but he was a tool that God used, that God channeled those miracles through his man, Elisha. But Elisha, when he heard that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, was getting ready to die, he knew that Hazael was getting ready to be anointed king over Syria. Well, what did Elisha do? The Bible lets us know that the man of God wept. For the scripture said in 2 Kings 8, while I'm building some foundation, 2 Kings 8 and verse 11, and he settled his countenance steadfastly until he was ashamed, and the man of God wept. Now, why would he weep? 
Because Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, had died and Haziel was going to take his place because he knew the wickedness that Haziel was going to perform toward the children of Israel and God's people. Elisha knew that. It broke his heart. It grieved him. And he wept. Too many times we might get mad. We might get angry. But instead of getting mad and angry, we ought to be greedy. And it ought to drive us to our knees where we weep over people's sin and over, over the condition of our country, the condition of our leadership. I mean, we can sit back and we can talk all we want to about all the negativity and all the bad things, and we'd be exactly right. But I'm talking about getting in that private altar, getting in that public altar with some emotion, and tears will touch the throne of heaven when people pray with a fervent heart as Elijah did. He prayed. He didn't rain for three and a half years and thank God he meant business with God but Elisha had tears when he knew of the evil that would come so he shed tears what about Nehemiah remember Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer Nehemiah chapter number one and he got a message from some of his friends at the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down what he do he didn't just blow it off say well can't do anything about it he didn't blow it off what no big deal listen to this Nehemiah chapter one and verse three and they and that's Hananiah and certain of the men of Judah and they said unto me, Nehemiah, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You know, it's one thing. Things happen, but it's another thing when things don't bother us. Stay with me now. Often, I still believe it's biblical. I think the great sin of America is probably the church of the Laodicean. I'm in creature with the goods and have need of nothing. We've got too much material wealth. We've got too many possessions that we don't rely on God like we should. That's one of the great sins. But I'm not so sure that the, that the spirit of apathy, <laughs> the spirit of apathy, is not even a greater sin. I'm talking about in our generation, 2023. We see homes that are torn apart. We see sinners that are on their way to hell. And it's almost like it doesn't bother God's people. It ought to. We talk about it. We hear about it. And, and we, we're preached to about it. We're taught about it in Sunday school. We read our Bible. But again, we say, oh, yeah, preach. I know it's bad. I know it's bad. But we're never moved to the point where God gets a hold of our heart and we start leaking out of our eyes. So the spirit of apathy, I'm afraid, is, is really prevalent in our day. We can't deny that. Amen. Elisha had tears. Nehemiah had tears. When people were convicted of sin, there were tears. You know what? I've always said this. You know, somebody comes and they receive Christ uh, as Savior. Yeah, it's a jubilant time, but they ought not be cutting up and joking while they're praying. It's a serious time, man. Jesus died for sin. And listen, when the walls were completed in Nehemiah's day, in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 9, he said, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not nor weep, for all the people wept. When they heard the words of the law, there were two celebrations that were being 
being observed right here in Nehemiah chapter number 8. It was the feast of the trumpets. And they were celebrating uh, the completion of the wall. And people were weeping. And Nehemiah was having to tell them, hey, it's not a time for weeping. It's time for celebration. Why were they weeping? Because the word of God was opened up. It was expounded upon. People saw themselves as they are. And they began to weep. (laughs) It's weeping. You say, is it missing? Sure, it's missing. I would say probably 99% of the people in here today will never shed a tear. Will not shed a tear today. 99%. When the service goes on. any so You pick any service you want to. We don't get emotionally attached. It's not bothering us like it should. People on their way to hell, or we'd be doing something about it. Amen. Elijah, Nehemiah, the people are convicted. What about Peter? Peter, we're still on introduction, man. It'll get better, I hope, here in a minute. But think about this. Peter, Jesus told him that he was going to deny him thrice. What happened? He denied him, and he did fall short. But you know what? It bothered Peter, Brother Harold, so much so that he wept. For the Bible said in Matthew 26, verse 75, And Peter remembered the words of Jesus, which said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. How do you know Peter was truly repentant? Because he went out and wept bitterly. How do we know Judas was not uh, genuine? Because he went out and he hung himself. Amen. Sure did. What about this? What about the woman over there in Luke chapter number 7? Luke chapter 7 verse. We're talking about tears now. A missing ingredient. They, can't, they ain't nobody in here that can deny the fact that this is one ingredient that's missing at the house of God. It doesn't matter which church you go into. And I ain't just saying right here. I'm talking about God's people in general today. There's one thing that's missing. Don't tell me it don't make a difference. Just like them onions, man. That meatloaf ain't going to taste right. Just like that sweet tea. You don't put sugar in there. Some kind of sweet It ain't going to be right. And man, when you take tears out away from the house of God, something is going to be missing. And in Luke chapter number 7... Verse number 36, and one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner. That ought to encourage us because that covers all of us too. She was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears. There was enough tears that were flowing that it was enough to wash his feet. Why was that? That was a a picture of, of her humility and her appreciation for the Lord Jesus Christ forgiving her of her sin. Every once in a while, you and I need to have one of those moments with the Lord Jesus. Well, we just reflect back, maybe during a, just like a while ago, and we say so much to thank Him for, just to thank God that we ain't dying and going to hell one day because we trusted Christ as Savior. Man, we ought to shed enough tears where we could wash the feet of Jesus. And that woman certainly did that. What about the Lord Jesus Himself? He is certainly He is our Savior, but He's our pattern, the Bible said. He's our example to follow. Luke 19 and verse 41. And when He was come near, this is Jesus, He beheld the city and wept over it. Jesus wept. We know John eleven thirty five in our English Bible, that is the shortest verse, when He heard about Lazarus' death, which He already knew Lazarus was dead. The Bible said Jesus 
wept. That's always interesting. You give some kids some verses to memorize. They won't always want it. John 11, verse Jesus wept. I mean, that's the verse that they wanted. But Jesus did weep, leaving behind that pattern. What about Paul when he was writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 or chapter 1 and verse 4? Paul said, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. Paul had tears. Think about all these Elisha. Think about these examples, that woman, Jesus, Peter, all them tears. And tears will touch the throne room of heaven. Let's focus here in Acts chapter number 20. And introduction was longer than the message itself. But I want us to look at the tears of the apostle Paul. What, what did they mean? What did they symbolize? Well, these tears that Paul had dealt with spiritual issues. Spiritual issues. Paul certainly shed tears for those that were unsaved. I, I'm reminded back in Romans chapter number 9. Listen to this. Romans chapter 9 and verse 1. And Paul always had a desire to go to Rome. And he did eventually because in Romans 1 he said, I'm a debtor. He said, I'm ready. And he said, I'm not ashamed. But he was ready to preach the gospel to that crowd in Rome. Well, in Romans chapter 9 and verse 1. He said, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Well, why has he got continual sorrow in his heart? And he did. He shed tears. Verse 3, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. You know what Paul was basically doing? Paul was wishing the impossible. He basically said, man, if I could just be accursed, just so my, my brethren, so my countrymen, my kinsmen could be saved, then I'd do it. But he was wishing the impossible because he wasn't holding on to Jesus, friend. Jesus was a holding on him. He was kept and protected. He got born again on the Damascus Road. It was something he couldn't lose. But he had a desire to see his family, his kinsfolk, and the Jewish nation be saved and be born again. He put it this way in Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I want to ask you a pointed question. God give it back to me this week during revival. When's the last time you shed a lost tear over, over somebody that's lost in their sin? I'm just asking you. I ain't asking. I ain't talking about your neighbor. I ain't talking about your husband. I ain't talking about your wife. Well, preacher, I'm concerned about it. When's the last time you shed a tear? Amen knowing that if they die in their sin, they're going to a place called hell. Tears are a missing ingredient. Well, preacher, I, I'm macho, and you know, I just don't believe in, in, in crying and getting too emotional. Listen, tears not a sign of weakness. It's a, it's a sign of strength. Amen. And the apostle Paul shed tears for those that were unsaved. Continual sorrow was on his heart because he was concerned about the welfare of someone else's soul a lot too many times we're too focused about me myself and I I want to be comfortable I want to do this and I want to do that and we forget about this lost world our neighbors the people up and down the street I, I challenge you at the first of the year in January even in December as we were moving in challenge you to go after five individuals that are unchurched and you don't have to look far well preacher I don't know if I know anybody that's unchurched you just hit five doors probably on your street on your road or the next one you're going to find somebody that's unchurched but you'll never do that 
until you get concerned about men, women, uh, boys, and girls that apart from Jesus Christ are on their way to hell. I'm just simply saying that tears will touch the throne room of God. Paul prayed the weeping chapter of the Bible three times. We find tears during his living years, during his laboring years. And as he was leaving, the men of Ephesus shed tears on his behalf. But Paul, no doubt he shed tears for those who were unsaved, but he also shed tears for struggling, immature believers. You say, well, that's a mouthful. Paul was a preacher. Paul was a, almost, he was like a temporary pastor. He was there for three years in Ephesus. But he shed tears over those that were saved, but they were spiritually immature. Now listen to this. Over in, and you don't have to turn it, but I encourage you to jot this down. Of course, Corinthians, they had a lot of issues, had a lot of problems. The second Corinthian letter was a little more positive. But the first one, man, he heard about the divisions and all the things that were going on. And people that named the name of Christ said, yeah, I'm born again, but they wouldn't live in like it. They wouldn't talk in like it. They wouldn't behave in like it. You say, well, that's a long time ago. It still goes on today. Amen. But it bothered the Apostle Paul being God's man and having a desire to see people live for God. And when he saw people struggle, he didn't get angry. He didn't get bitter. He didn't get on the telephone or the social media. He took it to God. Amen. And he shed some tears. 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, verse number 4. Now this is more to the leadership of the church. And if you're serving in any capacity whatsoever, how do you handle somebody that, 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 that maybe don't do like exactly what you think they ought to do? You can criticize them all you want to. That's not going to help a thing. You see, Brother Howard, years ago, and listen, I still, I still make my share of mistakes, so don't y'all misunderstand what I'm saying. Years ago, I had the take the bull by the horns mentality. Hey, this problem, I'm, praise the Lord, I'm going to fix this thing. Yeah, this, this is the way it is. I mean, it, it's cut and dry. This is the way it's going to be. What I found out is I wasn't doing any leading. I was doing driving. People weren't getting closer to me. They were getting further away. But God gave me enough sense to understand that those individuals that God has entrusted me with that I'm to care for, I'm to care for them in a special and unique way. I'm not to get... Now, listen, it does bother me when people sin. Don't, don't think that, I, that I'm not against sin because I am. But listen, people mess up. People make mistakes. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, I might be in worse shape than they are. The Apostle Paul didn't get bitter. He didn't talk about them. He didn't run them down. He prayed for them. Amen. With tears. Well, I wish I had a better Sunday school class. Well, when's the last time you prayed for your teacher? <laughs> when's the last time you prayed for your Sunday school to the teachers? When's the last time you prayed for every member of your Sunday school class? Wish I had a better choir leader. Wish I had a better music. When's the last time you spent some meaningful time praying for? When's the last time you say, well, I wish you had a better pastor. When's the last time you spent some valuable time praying for your preacher, your sound room, your van drivers, your vacation Bible, whatever you're doing, the folks that feed out here, anybody doing anything for God? When's the last time? You see, we're quick to criticize and we're slow to get on our knees and mostly with tears that will touch the throne room of God. Paul dealt with spiritual issues, those that were unsaved. It touched his heart, and he shed tears. But what about that struggling crowd? Well, listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4, this is where I was going. These immature believers, they named the name of Christ, but they wouldn't do it right. They wouldn't live right. But listen to what he said. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 4, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears. 
He's writing unto them to encourage them, to exhort them, not to stomp them while they're down, but to try to help them along life's way. You see, and I found out a long time ago, the people, including myself, we are, we are likened unto sheep. We are God's mascot. The sheep is helpless without the shepherd. They have no defense mechanism whatsoever. But you don't drive sheep. You've got to lead sheep. You drive cattle. Hey Amen. We better get this. You're going to do anything for God. You cannot drive people. You got to lead people. By example, you got to lead. You got to love them. And you got to leave it alone and move forward. Can I get an amen? Because people are going to make mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes. Doesn't matter if we're in a leadership position, whether we're not in a leadership position. Again, if it wasn't for the grace of God, we'd be in a worse shape than a lot of other folks. And Paul, he was grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. Now, what was the problem? There was a sinning brother in the church, and some of them wouldn't forgiven him. And it was grieving Paul. Now, Paul couldn't fix it. There's a lot of things people come to me, Brother Howard, it's amazing. Preacher, you got to fix it. There's some things that I can't fix. Amen. Some things only God can fix. But their issue was forgiveness, and he was dealing with it. He said, you need to forgive this brother. And then he told us why. I mean, he, he wrote with tears. They were struggling. They were saved, but they were immature. They weren't, they weren't living like a Christian should. See, Christ forgave us of all of our sin, and we are to forgive others. Can I get a witness right there? Second Corinthians 2.11, that same context. Why should we forgive? Why was he writing this letter with tears? He said, lest, Second Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You see, Paul's tears were dealing with spiritual issues. He, he got tore up with tears because people were dying without God, the unsaved. Boy, God give us our tears back. He, he had shed tears over struggling, immature believers that he was entrusted with. Again, he didn't get mad. He didn't get upset. He didn't criticize them. He didn't do that. He, he didn't stomp on them. He prayed for them with tears. But then there's a third thing that's found in our text. Notice in verse number 29 of Acts 20, he also shed some tears over the false teachers of the hour and the day. Look at verse 29. Paul said, For I know under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. You know, and I have been blessed, and I'll say this before I move on to this point. I've been blessed beyond measure when I was at Mount Sinai and since I've been at Faith. I've not had to deal with a lot of those issues. But you, you find any church dissension anywhere, most time it don't start from the without, without. It starts from within. Amen. That's why there's a constant guarding. <laughs> the guarding of the pulpit, the guarding of the Word of God. Because that can happen. Paul said, I know. And he, he, he shed tears knowing that after he departed, grievous wolves could come in. But look at verse number 31. He said, therefore watch and, watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. What was he warning about? He was warning about false teachers that would come along. 
I'll just go ahead and tell you, I've already said this before. 7.30 on Sunday morning, WBRF 98.1. Y'all turn that junk off. Amen. You might as well. 98.1. All that is is Jehovah's Witness wrapped up in some other kind of doctrine. I just happened to listen today. I flipped it on just, just to hear. I mean, that's what a shepherd, that's what a pastor ought to do. False doctrine. They believe in soul sleep. Don't believe an individual is going to die and be, be forever tormented in a place called hell. I'm just telling you from 738, you all just turn that junk off. You can air it on Facebook. It makes no difference to me. It's my responsibility to warn the flock here at Faith Community Baptist Church and everybody that listens. When there's false doctrine that comes up, man, we're to name it. It's our responsibility to do that. Some folks say, well, that's mean-spirited. No, because people are so gullible. I had a guy that I've known my whole life, that same mess that I just told you about, called me back in the summer, and he was all tore up. He said, that guy said, well, soul, it doesn't say anything about a man having a soul in the Bible. That's why you better read the King James Bible. It has a lot to say about a soul of a man. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Yeah, man. There's a lot of verses in there about the soul. I'm just simply saying there's a lot of false doctrine. You know, we preach. We preach doctrine. And I know a lot of folks, they might get bored over, over uh, I mean, there's a lot of doctrines in the Bible, the doctrine of reconciliation, forgiveness, the blood of Christ. There's a lot of things, a lot of series that we could preach on. I could preach on the blood of Christ for months and never get out of that. A lot of folks be like, oh, it's boring. But a lot of that doctrine is absolutely important. You think about the study of future things, eschatology, pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit. That doctrine is important when it comes to the teaching and the preaching ministries of any local church and assembly. It's our responsibility to stand for the truth, but it also ought to break our heart when you see somebody traveling down a road following a false doctrine. Paul knew about it, but it bothered him because people were dying and going to hell. Sister Savannah's coming. People were lost, and Paul shed some tears. There were immature believers that messed up and, again, not condoning sin. Paul didn't just stomp them while they was down, but he, it bothered him so much that he prayed for them. And that's what we've got to do. And it bothered him with tears. Well, I want to tell somebody what they did to me. Why don't you tell God? Amen. And then he shed tears because of false doctrine. There's a lot of people that are heading down the wrong road today. Been on that road for a long time. But it ought to bother us. I asked the question a while ago. I actually made the statement. I said probably by the end of this service, probably 99% or somewhere close about Probably won't shed a tear at all today. Why? We, because I don't know why it is. It may be seasoned, maybe hardened. Things just don't bother us like it used to. But folks, we got to realize that child, your flesh and blood, that is unsaved, they're on their way to hell apart from Christ. That ought to move us to tears. That neighbor, that co-worker that you've known for years, Apart from Christ, they're, they're on their way to hell. It ought to move us to the point of tears. Those individuals that have messed up. Not to sit back and get critical and get mad. But it ought to break your heart to get on your knees and say, God, turn them around. But do it with tears. And those false teachers that come in, tears shed because you see folks that you invest in and they travel down a broad road that leads to destruction. One thing that's missing 
is the tears of the saints of God. You know anybody lost? You know anybody living in sin? You know anybody heading down the wrong road? When's the last time you shed a tear over them as we stand all over the house? Let's pray. Father, now I sure do love you, Lord, and I thank you for the privilege. I thank you for the opportunity. Lord, to share your word. God, very pertinent, I do believe, and I thank you for giving my tears back this week. Lord, over folks that are on their way to a devil's hell that was prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, God, I pray that we would be like Elijah with those effectual, fervent prayer, because it availeth much. God, help our tears, Lord, to fall. Lord, it made a difference in Elisha, made a difference in Peter, made a difference in that woman in Luke chapter number 7. Made a difference in Paul. God, help us not to have the spirit of apathy and just don't care, don't give a rip. Nonchalant. Folks, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be all you'd have us to be. Give us our tears, Lord. We'll thank you. We'll praise you for what you do for us these things in Jesus' name. Hello, friends. This is Brian Poindexter, the pastor of Faith Community Baptist Church located at 2216 Hennings Road in East Bend, North Carolina. We're so grateful to have you listening to our CD ministry that's been provided as an outreach of our church. It's our desire and focus at Faith Community Baptist Church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to a lost and dying world, to equip the saints of God for service, and to encourage the elderly and shut-ins who cannot attend services due to physical ailments. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school, for all ages, and our Sunday school hour is followed by our worship service at 11 a.m. with old-fashioned singing and preaching from the Word of God. We meet back every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our worship service, and every second Sunday night of each month, we have what's called an eat and meet service. After our 6 p.m. service, we gather in the fellowship hall for food and fellowship. On Wednesdays, we meet back at the church for our midweek worship service with choir singing and preaching again from God's Holy Word. Our ladies prepare a meal each Wednesday prior to our service from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. I give you and your family a cordial invitation to be with us at any or all of our service times. Above all, you may be listening today and maybe you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the greatest decision anyone can ever make in this life. Too many folks prepare for vacation, they prepare for retirement, they seem to prepare for everything, but sad to say, many make no preparations for eternity. The reality is very clear. We all will leave this world someday. For the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You must understand that you are guilty before a holy God. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must understand that your good words, good works and good deeds will not get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible said, Therefore by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. 
must understand that you're loved. I'm thankful that in John 3 and verse 16, it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 declares, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You must understand and realize there's only one way to stand right before God. There's not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles' message was very simple. There in Acts chapter 4, in verse number 12, they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You might ask the question, Preacher, how can I be saved? That's what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. He asked Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Romans 10, 9 said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You must ask God to save you. I can't do it. No one can do it for you. Romans 10, 13 said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you know you're a sinner, and if you're sorry for your sin, and you believe Jesus died for your sins, you simply have to ask him to save you. You might say, Preacher, how can I know for sure God will hear me? But first of all, the Bible tells us that we must be drawn. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which had sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Psalm 51 and verse 17 gives us the attitude we need to have when we come to God. It said there, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. If God draws you by conviction, if you're sorry for your sin, you repent of them, you believe Jesus died for your sins and if you asked him to save you then the Bible declares you've been saved if you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior then you've been forgiven of all your sin Romans 8 1 declares there is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit once a person has been saved they need to be a part of a fundamental Bible believing church where they can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ God calls us out of darkness and commands us to walk in light after we've been saved by His marvelous grace. If we can help you here at Faith Community Baptist Church in any way, feel free to contact us. If you have asked God to save you, please contact us, and we will send you some free literature to help you in your newfound life in Christ. Thank you again for listening to our CD ministry that's been provided by our church here, and may God richly bless you and your family is our prayer.